Amen. God is our faithful one, is he not? And today we're going to read about his faithfulness. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Acts. We are in chapter 14. We will be looking at verses 21 through 28. Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 28. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, They declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Thus ends our reading of God's accomplishing word. May all who hear understand that he is the one who builds his church. Rocket football, piano, drums, karate. These are just a few of the things that at some point in my life I gave up on. (laughs) For, For one reason or another, I just quit. Sometimes it was because it was too difficult. Other, other times, I, I just didn't enjoy the activity. But, but in every case, my desire just wasn't great enough for me to continue on. And so I stopped. Have you ever been there? Now, how many of you have ever given up on something because things got hard? Or because you found no joy in what you were doing? Or perhaps life was, just became too much, and so you said to yourself, it's just not worth it. I, I mean, I think pretty much all of us have at least one thing in our life that we've quit, right? That we simply said, mm, no more, I'm done. And yet when God places a calling on someone, what, what are the excuses that a person can use to get out of it? It's too hard. It's not my gifting. I, I just don't enjoy it. It's too dangerous. Uh, here, here's the thing. None of those excuses really hold any weight when it comes to the calling of God, does it? Do they? I mean, God doesn't care if it's too difficult. God doesn't care if you don't like it. 
His calling isn't about your enjoyment. It is about His will and His kingdom. You see, when, when God places a calling on a person, things typically don't get easier. They, they typically get harder. And that's because anything that is, that is truly worthwhile takes effort. Anything that has lasting value requires hard work and dedication. It takes sacrifice. And oftentimes, in order to, to finish something, it, it means standing tall when the rest of the world is trying to beat you down. In our passage for today, we see the resilience of two men. Two men who, in the face of danger, did not back down. Rather, rather they stayed the course and finished the work to which God had called them to. They, they, they faced danger and difficulty. And I'm sure there were many times where they, they wanted to throw in the towel and just give up. But guess what? They didn't. In fact, let's remind ourselves of what these two men went through in order to accomplish the calling that God had placed upon them. And when we last left, left off, both Paul and Barnabas were escaping for their lives. Having been called by God on this missionary journey, they, they found themselves in the city of Lystra, where they had preached the gospel to a Gentile crowd. And if you remember, these, these Gentiles weren't like the, the other Gentiles whom they had encountered in many of the other cities that they had went to. No, those Gentiles had mostly been converts to Judaism. But, but these Gentiles, these Gentiles in Lystra, they were pagan to the core. They were ensconced in the, in the Greco-Roman cult, worshiping false gods such as Zeus and Hermes. And yet, even in such a climate, the gospel, the, the, the good news of Jesus was having an impact on the people of that city. And if you remember, there was one man in particular who, when he heard the preaching of Paul, he believed. This man was a cripple, someone who had been lame from birth, not being able to walk at all. And he was probably a beggar on the street. And yet he, he, he listened intently to all that Paul had to say. And Luke tells us that when Paul looked into this man's eyes, that he knew that this man had faith to be healed. And so what did Paul do? He, he commanded this man to stand upright upon his feet. And that's exactly what this man did. He, he, he sprang up and began walking around as if that is what he has been doing his whole life. And yet this miracle that Jesus had performed through Paul didn't go unnoticed, did it? It was seen by the crowds, and as a result, the city went wild, right? They went crazy. They, they assumed that Paul and Barnabas were gods. They believed Barnabas to be Zeus and Paul to be Hermes. And so they wanted to worship these two men by offering sacrifices to them. And yet when Paul and Barnabas finally realized, finally understood what was going on, what they were about to do, they did everything in their power to stop these people. They, they, they called the people of Lystra to repentance, to turn from these false gods and to worship the true and living God. 
But then, if you recall, something else had occurred. Something that these missionaries did not expect. Jews from both Pisidian Antioch and from Iconium, two cities where, where Paul and Barnabas had, had preached the gospel before. Jews from these cities traveled all the way to Lystra in order to convince the people of that, of that place to turn on these two men. And that's exactly what they did. In fact, they managed to get their hands on Paul and, and they stoned him until they thought he was dead. They then dragged his, his lifeless body out of the city in order for it to rot. And yet God's grace was upon Paul, for Paul didn't die, but he raised up. He was able to continue on with his partner Barnabas in order that they might complete their mission. And yet because of the danger that they were now in, because of, of the, the crowds that wanted them dead in Lystra, they fled from that city and made their way to Derby, a city roughly about 93 miles to the east. And when you're going by foot, that's quite a journey, isn't it? Well, it's in Derby where our story picks up today. But before we get there, I, I hope you see that the missionary life is not for the faint of heart. I mean, when you, when you look at it, in, in the last three cities that these men had gone to, in, in Antioch and in Iconium and in Lystra, they faced extreme persecution. There, there, there were people who wanted them dead, people who, who almost su succeeded when it came to Paul. And yet Paul and Barnabas would not stop. They, they were determined to complete the work that God had set before them. They were unwavering when it came to proclaiming the message of Jesus. And so wherever they would go, they would put their trust in the Lord, knowing that he would be the one who would carry them through. That's the missionary life. Let's pick up our story in the city of Derby. Look at, look at verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Now that's a short verse, isn't it? Luke doesn't give us a whole lot of details of what took place in Derby. Only that Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel there and had made many disciples. And so even though Paul had just been beaten to within an inch of his life, these men continued in the work of proclaiming Jesus to the lost of this world. And we see that God had blessed their work, right? What, did, what, what does Luke tell us? He, he says that many people came to Christ. Many became disciples. They were saved. And it seems that as, as if God had given them a, a bit of a reprieve from any persecution as well. For Luke doesn't mention that there was any trouble in this city. He says nothing. And what I find interesting about this verse is, is what happened after, right? 
What, what did Paul and Barnabas do after they had spent time in Derby? Luke tells us that they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Let that sink in for a minute. I mean, aren't these the same three, three cities where the persecution was the fiercest? Why in the world would they want to go back? I mean, remember, it was in Pisidian Antioch where, where they were run out of town. And it was in Iconium where there was a plot to stone these two men. And, and then as we just re recapped, you know, it, it was in Lystra where the Apostle Paul was actually stoned. Stoned and left for dead. And yet for some reason, it, these two men wanted to go back to these three cities. Why? Because the work was not yet complete. Now, it, it would take a lot of courage to go back. To go back knowing that your greatest enemies, the ones who wanted you dead, would be right there. And yet this is exactly what these men did because there was more work to be accomplished. Let's, let's see what that work was. Look at, look at the next two verses. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so here we see the reason why both Paul and Barnabas went back to these cities. They did so for the sake of the church. I mean, here were all these brand new believers, right? And, and, and they were left to fend for themselves in a climate of heavy, heavy persecution. And Paul and Barnabas did not want to abandon them. I mean, how could these men not come back and finish the work that they had begun? And what was the work that still needed to be done? Well, there were four things, four verbs that describe what they were trying to accomplish. Strengthening, encouraging, appointing, and committing. Strengthening, encouraging, appointing, and committing. Let's, let's look at each of these words and see exactly what was going on. First, the word strengthening. Luke tells us that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples. What does that mean? Well, basically, they were, they were doing what Jesus commanded them to do. What Jesus commands all Christians to do. They were making disciples. And what better way to strengthen a person's soul than through the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. Look at, look at 2 Timothy 3 verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness 
that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You know, part of the reason we give graduates Bibles every year is because we believe these verses. That it is through God's word that the man of God can be thoroughly equipped. Paul and Barnabas wanted to make sure that these churches were thoroughly equipped. And why? Because Paul and Barnabas couldn't stay. These new believers would eventually need to take care of themselves. And thus they needed to be strengthened. But there's more, right? For Luke also tells us that they were encouraging these churches to continue in the faith. So what is this all about? I mean, what, what kind of encouragement would these churches need? And more importantly, why, why was their faith in jeopardy? Well, the answer comes from the encouraging message that Paul and Barnabas gave. Look, at, look again at verse 22. Specifically, it says this, that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, now at first glance, this does not seem encouraging at all, does it? I mean, how does telling someone that, that, that they will go through many tribulations, how does that message give someone encouragement? I mean, it, it wouldn't unless these people were already going through such tribulations. You see, Paul and Barnabas knew that, that, that it was not just them who were suffering under persecution, but that all of these believers in these cities were facing oppression of one kind or another. There, there was pressure on each one of them. And yet these, these folks, they, 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 just, they couldn't just pick up and leave. I mean, this was their home. This was where they were from. They had established lives in these cities. They had family members that they probably wanted to reach with the gospel. And so these folks, they were in the midst of it. They, they, they were suffering because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And this is why both Paul and Barnabas spoke to the reality of their situation. They, they, they didn't try to downplay all that was going on. And this is a lesson I think that we need to learn. That, that true encouragement doesn't speak lies. Rather, it, it acknowledges the truth about all the enemies that surrounds us. And yet it does more than just point out all the awful things that the world has to offer, for it looks beyond a person's suffering and brings hope through Jesus Christ as well. And, I mean, in the same breath that Paul and Barnabas spoke of tribulations, they also pointed to the glorious future that is God's kingdom, right? 
Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Consider the words of Jesus in in Luke 21, verses 12 through 19. Here he's talking to his disciples. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair on your head will perish By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Now, now what I find interesting about this prophetic warning is the fact that Jesus didn't hold anything back. He even told his disciples that some of them would be put to death. And yet, no sooner had he said that, but, but then he said this, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. You you see, by, by warning the church of what was to come, Paul and Barnabas were preparing God's people in order that they might stand strong. Stand strong and trust that Jesus would carry them through. And so the the word of encouragement that they were bringing to these churches was that there is a glorious ending to all of this. But they must first persevere. Persevere when these tribulations come their way. They they, they must realize that that Jesus is winning this battle even when it, it doesn't seem that way. And honestly, who who better to bring this message to them than the Apostle Paul, am I right? A man who had just barely survived a stoning days prior. A man who could relate to these people and the suffering that they were enduring. Dear friends, we must have this same mindset when trials come our way. I'm not a prophet, nor do I claim to be one, but when you look at the trajectory of our nation, unless God brings an awakening soon, it won't be long before speaking the words of Christ will be outlawed. And what are you going to do when persecution does arrive? Are you willing to, to lose your house? Are you willing to lose your freedom? Are you willing to lose your life? Are you willing to stand strong? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And yet there was more that Paul and Barnabas needed to do in order for them to finish their mission. 
for they also needed to appoint elders. It says they had appointed elders for them in every church. And so what we see going on here is, is the establishment of church leadership by the founders of these churches, right? By Paul and Barnabas. And again, this, this was necessary because, what did I say earlier? Paul and Barnabas could not stay. And so there needed to be leadership when they were gone. There needed to be men who, whom the people could look to for instruction and for direction, for, for correction and for protection. And this was Paul's practice wherever he planted the church. He would appoint elders in order that they would become self-sufficient. Look at, look at Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Here we, give Paul, here we have Paul giving orders to Titus. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And listen, elders are necessary for a church to be properly functioning. For if you don't have men who, who can be doing these things that the church needs to have happen, well, then the church is vulnerable. It's vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And so the purpose that Paul and Barnabas had in, for appointing these elders was for these churches to become self-sufficient so that they could establish their own leadership, a leadership that, that, that would be there for the body to help strengthen it, to help encourage it, to help protect it. And finally, we, we see both Paul and Barnabas committing these churches to the Lord. Luke says, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In a sense, they were, they were now passing the baton, allowing these churches to govern themselves. They knew that the care for these churches was no longer in their hands, but in the hands of Jesus. Sometimes this is the hardest part of the missionary journey, letting go. And we talked this morning about parents letting go when their child grows up. Well, when a church grows up as well, there needs to be a letting go. I remember when my family and I had to leave the work that we were doing in Thailand. Those were tough days. 
And they were tough because we, we were not sure what would happen after we were gone. And would the churches continue on? Would the people remain faithful to Jesus Christ? I'm still in contact with many of the laborers back in Thailand. And, and what I can tell you is that, is that God doesn't need me to make his church thrive. He, he is very, very capable of continuing the work well after I am gone. And I believe the reason that is the case is because it was his working all along. I was just the vessel he was using at that time. A, a tool, if you will, in God's hand at that moment. And so I needed to learn to let go and to trust that God was the one who was actually doing the work all along. And that's what it means to commit someone to the Lord. You are, you are leaving knowing that God will look after them. Well, after committing these churches to Christ, it was time for Paul and Barnabas to go back home. It was time for them to return to the other Antioch, the, the original Antioch, right? The church from which they had originally been sent out. Look at, look at verses 24 through 26. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And so we see this journey back of these two missionaries. They, they left the province of Pisidia and then traveled through the province of Pamphylia, where Luke tells us they stopped at, at Perga, which was the capital of Pamphylia. And what else does Luke tell us? That they had spoken the word there, right? And so they were proclaiming Christ there as well. They were preaching the gospel to, to a new bunch of people. And so even on their journey back, these men couldn't help but to Proclaim Christ's name. I mean, it was in their DNA. They just weren't going to stop. And yet eventually they sailed back to Antioch, back to the church from which God had originally called them. And, and, and then look at this little phrase at the end of verse 26. For the work that they had fulfilled. For the work that they had fulfilled. These men had fulfilled the work that the Lord had set out for them. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear these two words together, fulfilled and work, oh, that brings joy to my heart. For, for when you take on a project, or take on some job, and you make it to the end, there is something that is very, very satisfying about that. About pounding in that last nail. About cutting that last blade of grass. About pressing send after you've attached the last document. I mean, you all know what I'm talking about. Now imagine the joy that Paul and Barnabas experienced knowing that they had completed the work that God had called them to. I mean, consider all that they had done. 
They, they had brought the gospel, the, the saving message of Jesus Christ to the cities of Salamis and Paphos on the island of, of Cyprus. And then they traveled further to the cities of Pisidian Antioch and to Iconium and to Lystra and to Derbe. And lastly, they preached the gospel to Pamphylia. And there were probably other cities in between that Luke just didn't have time to mention. But not only did these cities hear the gospel, but many people, both Jews and Gentiles, turned to Jesus and found salvation in him. Believers were strengthened. Those who were persecuted were encouraged. Elders were appointed. Churches were established and committed to the Lord. And the body of Christ continued to flourish. And now that they were back, now that Paul and Barnabas had returned to Antioch, they could rejoice. And more than that, they could reconnect. Paul and Barnabas, they, they got a season of rest with the people they loved. A, a fitting reprieve for such a harrowing missionary journey. Let's see how these two decided to rejoice with the ones they loved. Look at, it, look at our last two verses. Look at verses 27 and 28. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. They were back, right? They were with the church that, that which they had once pastored, with, with the church from which God had sent them out to begin with, and now they could reconnect with their old friends. But not just reconnect, but report as well. They got to share with them all that had happened on that journey. And I imagine that they met for hours upon hours, going into much greater detail than the account that Luke has given to us. All the highs, all the lows, all the triumphs, and all the tribulations. But most importantly, they got to share with everyone how Jesus Christ was growing his church. And notice how they worded it. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. I mean, do you see the perspective that Paul and Barnabas took? That they saw all these things as being the work of the triune God. They were merely the, the instruments in God's hands. Instruments that he had used to accomplish his will. And so while it was Paul and Barnabas who were out on mission, it was God who was doing all the heavy lifting. He was the one who was saving people. He was the one who was strengthening the believers. He was the one who was encouraging the persecuted. He was the one who was appointing church leadership. 
And he was the one who was establishing these churches as they committed themselves to him. He is the one who was building up the body of Christ. And that's truly how it is in God's kingdom. When you are working in God's kingdom, God is doing the work. And yes, the work is hard. Yes, the work is laborious. Yes, the work is dangerous. And yet the finished product doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on me. It didn't depend on Paul or Barnabas. And that's because it has always depended upon God. And we as Christ's church need to have this same understanding as we go on mission. That we are merely the tools in God's hands and that he is the one who accomplishes the work. And when we have this picture in our mind, it should instill within us a great, great confidence. Because we no longer need to rely on our own strength or on our own skills. We no longer need to rely on our own ability to get the job done. Rather, we rely on his strength and on his skills. We rely on his ability to finish the work through us. And so we go forth with courage. We, we go forth with assurance because we know that Christ has the victory and that God's will will be done. Let's, let us pray. Father, the work that you have called us to is is an immense task. You have called us to proclaim the message of your Son to a world that, that does not want to hear it. And so this work is laborious, and this work is difficult. This work is dangerous, and it will often lead to suffering. And yet it is your calling upon our lives, and so we must do it. And that is why we need your help. For only you can truly accomplish this task. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would go before us. That he would be the one who would prepare both the hearts and the minds of the people that we talk to. In order that they might believe in the Savior whom you sent. Your Son, Jesus Christ. That they would trust in him. And the work that he did on the cross as he paid the penalty for their sins. And we ask you to give to us courage when we have none. That we might not shy away from this calling. Help us to persevere. Persevere when the pressure mounts. Help us to stand firm through many tribulations. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.